Chapter 11 of Poems of American History, Volume 5, The Period of Expansion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J.L. Baldwin. Poems of American History, Volume 5, The Period of Expansion, by Various, Section 11. For generations, Americans had been taught by the provincially minded to glory in their splendid isolation. But the more discerning perceived that steam and electricity were making the world smaller and smaller, and that economic causes were drawing its nations more and more closely together. They perceived, too, that the democratic theory of government to which America was consecrated had two staunch champions in Western Europe, France and England, and two implacable enemies, Germany and Austria. And when, on August 1, 1914, the rulers of these two empires decreed the war which they hoped would lead to world power, many Americans felt most keenly that their country's place was by the side of France and England in their battle for human freedom. Sonnets written in the fall of 1914 Awake, ye nations, slumbering supine, who round and ring the European fray! Heard ye the trumpet sound, the day, the day, the last that shall on England's empire shine? The Parliament that broke the right divine shall see her realm of reason swept away, and lesser nations shall the sword obey. The sword o'er all carved the great world's design. So on the English Channel boasts the foe on whose imperial brow death's helmet nods. Look where his hosts o'er bloody Belgium go and nix a nation's past with blazing sods. A kingdom's waste, a people's homeless woe, man's broken word and violated gods. Far fall the day when England's realm shall see the sunset of dominion. Her increase abolishes the man-dividing seas and frames the brotherhood on earth to be. She, in free peoples planting sovereignty, orbs half the civil world in British peace. And though time dispossess her and she cease, Rome-like she greatens in man's memory. O oh, many a crown shall sink in war's turmoil, and many a new republic light the sky. Fleets sweep the ocean, Nations till the soil, genius be born and generations die, Orient and Occident together toil, ere such a mighty work man rears on high. Hearken the feet of the destroyer tread the winepress of the nations, fast the blood pours from the side of Europe. In full flood on the septentrional watershed the rivers of fair France are running red. England, the mother airy of our brood, that on the summit of dominion stood, shakes in the blast. Heaven battles overhead. Lift up thy head, O reams, of ages air that treasured up in thee their glorious sum, upon whose brow prophetically fair flamed the great morrow of the world to come. Haunt with thy beauty this volcanic air, ere yet thou close, O flower of Christendom. As when the shadow of the sun's eclipse sweeps on the earth and spreads a spectral air, as if the universe were dying there, on continent and isle the darkness dips, unwanted gloom, and on the Atlantic slips. So in the night the Belgian cities flare horizon-wide, the wandering people fare along the roads and load the fleeing ships, and westward borne that planetary sweep, darkening o'er England and her times to be, already steps upon the ocean deep. Watch well, my country, that unearthly sea, lest when thou thinkest not, and in thy sleep, unapt for war, that gloom and shadow thee. George Edward Woodbury. 
American opinion was especially aroused by Germany's cynical disregard of her pledge to preserve the neutrality of Belgium, and by the outrages which crimsoned every step of the invasion of that little kingdom. Abraham Lincoln walks at midnight in Springfield, Illinois. It is portentous and a thing of state that here at midnight in our little town a morning figure walks and will not rest near the old courthouse pacing up and down or by his homestead, or in shadowed yards he lingers where his children used to play, or through the market on the well-worn stones he stalks until the dawn stars burn away. A bronzed lank man, his suit of ancient black, a famous high top hat and plain worn shawl make him the quaint great figure that men love, the prairie lawyer, master of us all. He cannot sleep upon his hillside now. He is among us as in times before. And we who toss and lie awake for long breathe deep and start to see him pass the door. His head is bowed, he thinks on men and kings. Yea, when the sick world cries, how can he sleep? Too many peasants fight, they know not why. Too many homesteads in black terror weep. The sins of all the warlords burn his heart. He sees the dreadnoughts scouring every main. He carries on his shawl-wrapped shoulders now the bitterness, the folly, and the pain. He cannot rest until a spirit dawn shall come, the shining hope of Europe free, the league of sober folk, the workers' earth bringing long peace to cornland, alp, and sea. It breaks his heart that kings must murder still, that all his hours of travail here for men seem yet in vain. And who will bring white peace that he may sleep upon his hill again? Beshel Lindsay On sea as well as on land, the same policy of frightfulness was followed, and German submarines and raiders, finding it dangerous to attack British battleships, turned their attention to unarmed merchantmen. On February 28, 1915, an American vessel, the William P. Fry, carrying wheat from Seattle to Queenstown, was sunk by a German raider in the South Atlantic. The William P. Fry, February 28, 1915 I saw her first abreast the Boston light at anchor. She had just come in, turned head, and sent her hawsers creaking, clattering down. I was so near to where the hawse-pipes fed the cable out from her careening bow. I moved up on the swell, shut steam, and lay hove-to in my old launch to look at her. She'd come in light, a-skimming up the bay lake, a white ghost with topsails bellying full, and all her noble lines from bow to stern made music in the wind. It seemed she rode the morning air like those thin clouds that turn into tall ships when sunrise lifts the clouds from calm sea-courses. There in smoke-smudged coats lay funneled liners, dirty fishing-craft, blunt cargo-luggers, tugs, and ferry-boats. Oh, it was good in that black-scuttled lot to see the fry come lording on her way like some old queen that we had half forgot come to her own. A little up the bay the fort lay green, for it was springtime then. The wind was fresh, rich with the spicy bloom of the New England coast that tardily escapes, late April, from an icy tomb. The state house glittered on old Beacon Hill, gold in the sun. T'was all so fair a while. But she was fairest, this great square-rigged ship that had blown in from some far happy isle, or from the shores of the Hesperides. They caught her in a South Atlantic road, becalmed, and found her hold brimmed up with wheat, Wheat's contraband, they said, and blew her hull to pieces, murdered one of our staunch fleet, fast dwindling of the big old sailing ships that carry trade for us on the high sea, and warped out of each harbor in the States. It wasn't law, so it seemed strange to me, a big mistake. 
Her keels struck bottom now, and her foremast sunk fathoms, fathoms deep to Davy Jones. The dank seaweed will root on her oozed decks, and the cross surges sweep through the set sails. But never, never more her crew will stand away to brace and trim, nor sea-blown petrels meet her thrashing up to windward on the Gulf Stream's stormy rim. Never again shall head a northeast gale, or like a spirit loom up sliding dumb, and ride in safe beyond the Boston light, to make the harbor glad because she's come. Jean Robert Foster The crowning outrage came on May 7, 1915, when the great Cunard steamship Lusitania was torpedoed without warning off the coast of Ireland, and 1,153 men, women, and children drowned. Of these, 114 were Americans. The White Ships and the Red, May 7, 1915 with drooping sail and pennant that never a wind may reach, they float in sunless waters beside a sunless beach. Their mighty masts and funnels are white as driven snow, and with a pallid radiance their ghostly bulwarks glow. Here is a Spanish galleon that once with gold was gay. Here is a Roman trireme whose hues outshone the day. But Tyrian dyes have faded, and prows that once were bright with rainbow stains were only death's livid dreadful white. White as the ice that clove her that unforgotten day, Among her pallid sisters the grim Titanic lay, And through the leagues above her she looked aghast and said, What is this living ship that comes where every ship is dead? The ghostly vessels trembled from ruined stern to prow, What was this thing of terror that broke their vigil now? Down through the startled ocean a mighty vessel came, Not white as all dead ships must be, but red like living flame. The pale green waves about her were swiftly strangely dyed by the great scarlet stream that flowed from out her wounded side. And all her decks were scarlet and all her shattered crew. She sank among the white ghost ships and stained them through and through. The grim Titanic greeted her, and who art thou, she said? Why dost thou join our ghostly fleet arrayed in living red? We are the ships of sorrow who spend the weary night until the dawn of judgment day obscure and still and white. Nay, said the scarlet visitor, though I sink through the sea, a ruined thing that was a ship, I sink not as did ye. For ye met with your destiny by storm or rock or fight, so through the lagging centuries ye wear your robes of white. But never crashing iceberg nor honest shot of foe, nor hidden reef has sent me the way that I must go. My wound that stains the waters, my blood that is like flame, bear witness to a loathly deed, a deed without a name. I went not forth to battle, I carried friendly men. The children played about my decks, the women sang, and then, and then the sun blushed scarlet and heaven hid its face. The world that God created became a shameful place. My wrong cries out for vengeance, the blow that sent me here was aimed in hell. My dying scream has reached Jehovah's ear. Not all the seven oceans shall wash away that stain. Upon a brow that wears a crown, I am the brand of Cain. When God's great voice assembles the fleet on judgment day, the ghosts of ruined ships will rise in sea and strait and bay. Though they have lain for ages beneath the changeless flood, they shall be white as silver, but one shall be like blood. Joyce Kilmer no event since the sinking of the Maine in Havana Harbor had so stirred the country with rage and horror. The contention of the Germans that they were fighting for the freedom of the seas was indignantly scouted. Mare liberum. 
You dare to say with perjured lips we fight to make the ocean free? You, whose black trail of butchered ships bestrews the bed of every sea where German submarines have wrought their horrors? Have you never thought what you call freedom men call piracy? Unnumbered ghosts that haunt the wave where you have murdered cry you down. And seamen whom you would not save weave now in weed-grown depths a crown of shame for your imperious head, a dark memorial of the dead, women and children whom you sent to drown, nay, not till thieves are set to guard the gold, and corsairs called to keep or peaceful commerce watch and ward, and wolves to herd the helpless sheep shall men and women look to thee, thou ruthless old man of the sea, to safeguard law and freedom on the deep. In nobler breeds we put our trust, the nations in whose sacred lore the ought stands out above the must, and honor rules in peace and war. With these we hold in soul and heart, with these we choose our lot and part, till liberty is safe on sea and shore. Henry Van Dyke President Woodrow Wilson warned Germany that the United States could not stand idly by in the event of further contemptuous disregard of American rights, and Germany promised to restrict her submarine warfare. But a great portion of the country felt there was already more than sufficient cause for war, and many Americans entered the French Aviation Corps and Foreign Legion, or went to Canada and enlisted there, in order to take their stand at once beside the nations which were battling for human liberty. Ode in memory of the American volunteers fallen for France. To have been read before the statue of Lafayette and Washington in Paris on Decoration Day, May 30, 1916. 1. Ay, it is fitting on this holiday, commemorative of our soldier dead, when, with sweet flowers of our New England May, hiding the lichened stones by fifty years made gray, their graves in every town are garlanded. That pious tribute should be given, too, to our intrepid few, obscurely fallen here beyond the seas. Those to preserve their country's greatness died, but by the death of these something that we can look upon with pride has been achieved, nor wholly unreplied can sneers triumph in the charge they make, that from a war where freedom was at stake, America withheld and daunted stood aside. 2. Be they remembered here with each reviving spring, not only that in May, when life is loveliest, around Neuville Saint-Vast and the disputed crest of Vimy, they superb, unfaltering, in that fine onslaught that no fire could halt, parted impetuous to their first assault, but they that brought fresh hearts and spring-like, too, to that high mission, and tis meet to strew with twigs of lilac and spring's earliest rose, the cenotaph of those who in the cause that history most endears fell in the sunny morn and flower of their young years. 3. Yet sought they neither recompense nor praise, nor to be mentioned in another breath than their blue-coated comrades whose great days it was their pride to share, I share even to the death. Nay, rather, France, to you they rendered thanks, seeing they came for honor, not for gain who opening to them your glorious ranks gave them that grand occasion to excel, that chance to live the life most free from stain and that rare privilege of dying well. 4. O oh, friends, I know not since that war began from which no people nobly stands aloof, if in all moments we have given proof of virtues that were thought American. I know not if in all things done and said all has been well and good, or if each one of us can hold his head as proudly as he should or from the pattern of those mighty dead whose shades our country venerates today, if we've not somewhat fallen and somewhat gone astray. But you to whom our land's good name is dear, if there be any here who wonder if her manhood be decreased 
relaxed its sinews and its blood less red than at Shiloh, an Antietam shed, be proud of these, have joy in this at least, and cry, Now heaven be praised that in that hour that most imperiled her, menaced her liberty who foremost raised Europe's bright flag of freedom, some there were who, not unmindful of the antique debt, came back the generous path of Lafayette, and when of a most formidable foe she checked each onset, arduous to stem, foiled and frustrated them. On these red fields where blow with furious blow was countered, whether the gigantic fray rolled by the news or at the bois sabot, accents of ours were in the fierce melee, and on that furthest rim of hallowed ground where the forlorn, the gallant charge expires, when the slain bugler has long ceased to sound, and on the tangled wires the last wild rally staggers, crumbles, stops, withered beneath the shrapnel's iron showers. Now heaven be thanked we gave a few brave drops, now heaven be thanked a few brave drops were ours. 5. There, holding still in frozen steadfastness, their bayonets toward the beckoning frontiers, they lie, our comrades, lie among their peers, clad in the glory of fallen warriors, grim clusters under thorny trellises, dry, furthest foam upon disastrous shores, leaves that made last year beautiful still strewn even as they fell, unchanged beneath the changing moon. And earth in her divine indifference rolls on, and many paltry things and mean prate to be heard and caper to be seen. But they are silent, calm, their eloquence is that incomparable attitude, no human presences their witness are, but summer clouds and sunset crimson-hued, and showers and night winds and the northern star. Nay, even our salutations seem profane, opposed to their Elysian quietude. Our salutations coming from afar, from our ignobler plain, and undistinction of our lesser parts. Hail, brothers, and farewell. You are twice blessed, brave hearts. Double your glory is who perished thus, for you have died for France and vindicated us. Alan Seeger. Germany lived up to her agreement only in partial and grudging fashion, and the climax came on January 31, 1917, when the German government announced that an unrestricted submarine warfare against all ships encountered on the seas would begin next day. President Wilson at once handed the German ambassador his passports, and on April 2, after the sinking of three American ships without warning, appeared before Congress and asked that war be declared. After thirteen hours of debate, the Senate passed the necessary resolution. The House concurred on April 5, and the next day the President issued a proclamation declaring that a state of war exists between the United States and the Imperial German government. Republic to Republic, 1776-1917 France, it is I answering, America, and it shall be remembered not only in our lips but in our hearts and shall awaken forever familiar and new as the morning that we were the first of all lands to be lovers, to run to each other with the incredible cry of recognition. Bound by no ties of nearness or of knowledge, but of the nearness of the heart, you chose me then, and so I choose you now by the same nearness, and the name you called me then I call you now, O Liberty, my love. Witter Binner The Entente powers welcomed their new ally with bursting hearts, for a decisive victory, which was becoming more and more hopeless, now seemed assured. To the United States of America, Brothers in blood, they who this wrong began to wreck our commonwealth will rue the day when first they challenged freemen to the fray, and when the Briton dared the American, 
Now we are pledged to win the rights of man. Labor and justice now shall have their way, and in a league of peace God grant we may transform the earth, not patch up the old plan. Sure is our hope, since he who led your nation spake for mankind, and ye arose in awe of that high call to work the world's salvation. Clearing your minds of all estranging blindness in the vision of beauty and the Spirit's law, freedom and honor and sweet loving kindness. Robert Bridges One of the first acts of the government was to seize all enemy ships in American ports, which, of course, included Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines. These were at once overhauled and put into service under American command. The Captive Ships at Manila Our keels are furred with tropic weed that clogs the crawling tides, and scarred with crust of salt and rust that gnaws our idle sides, and little junks they come and go, and ships they sail at dawn, and all the outbound winds that blow they call us to be gone, as yearning to the lifting seas our gaunt flotilla rides, drifting aimless to and fro, sport of every wind a-blow, swinging to the ebb and flow of lazy tropic tides. And once we knew the clean seaways to sail them pridefully, and once we met the clean sea winds and gave them greeting free, and honest craft they spoke us fair who'd scorn to speak us now, and little craft they'd not beware to cross a German bow, when yet the flag of Germany had honor on the sea. And now, of all that seaward fair, what ship of any port is there but would dip her flag to a black corsair, ere she'd signal such as we? Yet we are ribbed with Norseland steel and fleshed with Viking pine, that's fashioned of the soil which bred the hosts of Charlemagne. And clad we are with rusting pride of stays and links and plates that lay within the mountainside where Barbarossa waits. The mighty Frederick, thralled in sleep, held by the ancient sign, while yet the ravens circle wide above that guarded mountainside, full-fed with carrion from the tide of swinish red repine. Oh, we have known the German men when German men were true, and we have borne the German flag when honor was her due. But sick we are of honest scorn from honest merchantmen, the winds they call us to be gone down to the seas again. Down to the seas where waves lift white and gulls they sheer in the blue, Shriven clean of our blood-bought scorn by a foeman's flag I proudly borne, cleaving out in the good red dawn, out again to the blue. Dorothy Paul Every effort was bent toward getting an army into the field in the shortest possible time. General John J. Pershing was appointed to command the American Expeditionary Forces and started for France. The National Guard was mobilized, volunteers called for, and the 1st Division of Regulars was loaded on transports and, on June 14, headed out to sea. The Road to France Thank God our liberating lance goes flaming on the way to France. To France, the trail the Gurkhas found. To France, old England's rallying ground. To France, the path the Russians strode. To France, the Anzac's glory road. To France, where our lost legion ran to fight and die for God and man. To France, with every race and breed that hates oppression's brutal creed. Ah, France, how could our hearts forget the path by which came Lafayette? How could the haze of doubt hang low upon the road of Rochambeau? At last, thank God, at last we see there is no tribal liberty. No beacon lighting just our shores, no freedom guarding but our doors. The flame she kindled for our sires burns now in Europe's battle-fires. The soul that led our fathers west turns back to free the world's oppressed. 
Allies, you have not called in vain. We share your conflict and your pain. Old glory, through new stains and rents, partakes of freedom's sacraments. Into that hell his will creates, we drive the foe, his lusts, his hates. Last come, we will be the last to stay, till right has had her crowning day. Replenish, comrades, from our veins, the blood the sword of despot drains, and make our eager sacrifice part of the freely rendered price you pay to lift humanity, you pay to make our brothers free. See with what proud hearts we advance to France. Daniel Henderson General Pershing, with his staff, reached England early in June and crossed to France a few days later. On the 4th of July, a parade of American troops took place in Paris, proceeding to the Picpus Cemetery, where General Pershing placed a wreath on the tomb of Lafayette. Legend has it that he said simply, Lafayette, we are here. Pershing at the Tomb of Lafayette, July 4, 1917 They knew they were fighting our war. As the months grew to years, their men and their women had watched through their blood and their tears for a sign that we knew. We who could not have come to be free without France long ago. And at last from the threatening sea, the stars of our strength on the eyes of their weariness rose. And he stood among them, the sorrow-strong hero we chose to carry our flag to the tomb of the Frenchman, whose name a man of our country could once more pronounce without shame. What crown of rich words would he set for all time on this day? The past and the future were listening what he would say. Only this from the white flaming heart of a passion austere. Only this, ah, but France understood. Lafayette, we are here. Amelia Josephine Burr An army of at least two million men was needed at once. To secure it with the least possible disturbance of the country's economic life, Congress passed a bill providing for a selective draft of all men between 21 and 30. Great training camps were built, and by September the training of the National Army was in full swing, while the National Guard regiments, which had already had some training, were started on their way to France. Your Lad and My Lad Down toward the deep blue water, marching to throb of drum, from city street and country lane the lines of khaki come. The rumbling guns, the sturdy tread, are full of grim appeal while rays of western sunshine flash back from burnished steel. With eager eyes and cheeks aflame the serried ranks advance, and your dear lad and my dear lad are on their way to France. A sob clings choking in the throat as file on file sweep by, between those cheering multitudes to where the great ships lie. The batteries halt, the columns wheel to clear-toned bugle call. With shoulders squared and faces front they stand a khaki wall. Tears shine on every watcher's cheek, love speaks in every glance, for your dear lad and my dear lad are on their way to France. Before them through the mist of years, in soldier buff or blue, brave comrades from a thousand fields watch now in proud review. The same old flag, the same old faith, the freedom of the world, spells duty in those flapping folds above long ranks unfurled. Strong are the hearts which bear along democracy's advance, as your dear lad and my dear lad go on their way to France. The word rings out, a million feet tramp forward on the road, along that path of sacrifice o'er which their fathers strode. With eager eyes and cheeks aflame, with cheers on smiling lips, these fighting men of seventeen move onward to their ships. Nor even love may hold them back or halt that stern advance, as your dear lad and my dear lad go on their way to France. Randall Parrish
Germany had boasted that we could never get an army to Europe past her submarines, but so efficient was the system of protection worked out by the Navy that only one loaded transport was sunk. Early in February 1918, the Tuscania, carrying 2,179 American soldiers, was torpedoed off the north coast of Ireland. British destroyers rescued all but about 200 before the ship sank. Nearly all the bodies were washed ashore and were tenderly buried. A Call to Arms, February 5, 1918 It is I, America, calling, above the sound of rivers falling, above the whir of the wheels and the chime of the bells in the steeple, wheels rolling gold into the palms of the people, bells ringing silverly clear and slow to church-going leisurely steps on pavements below. Above all familiar sounds of the life of a nation, I shout to you a name, and the flame of that name is sped like fire into hearts where blood runs red. The hearts of the land burn hot to the land's salvation, as I call across the long miles, as I, America, call to my nation, Tuscania, Tuscania. Americans remember the Tuscania. Shall we not remember how they died in their young courage and loyalty and pride? Our boys, bright-eyed, clean lads of America's breed, hearts of gold, limbs of steel, flower of the nation indeed. How they tossed their years to be into icy waters of a winter sea, that we whom they loved, that the world which they loved, should be free. Ready, ungrudging, they died, each one thinking, likely, as the moment was come, of the dear starry flag worth dying for, and then of dear faces at home, going down in good order with a song on their lips of the land of the free and the brave, till each young deep voice stopped under the rush of a wave. Was it like that? And shall their memory ever grow pale? Not ever, till the stars and the flag of America fail. It is I, America, who swear it, calling over the sound of that deep ocean's falling, Tuscania, Tuscania, arm, arm, Americans, remember the Tuscania. Very peacefully they are sleeping in friendly earth, unmindful of a nation's weeping, and the kindly strange folk that honored the long full graves we know, and the mothers know that their boys are safe now from the hurts of a savage foe. It is for us who are left to make sure and plain that these dead, our precious dead, shall not have died in vain, so that I, America, young and strong and not afraid, I set my face across that sea which swallowed the bodies of the sons I made, I set my eyes on the still faces of boys washed up on a distant shore, and I call with a shout to my own to end this horror for evermore. In the boys' names I call a name, and the nation leaps to fire in its flame, and my sons and my daughters crowd eager to end the shame. It is I, America, calling, hoarse with the roar of that ocean falling, Tuscania, Tuscania, arm, arm, Americans, and remember, remember the Tuscania. Mary Raymond Shipman Andrews. Meanwhile, in France, the Americans were already taking part in the war. About the middle of October, the first division had been sent into a heretofore quiet sector of the trenches beyond Einville in Lorraine. On October 25, we took our first prisoner. A few days later, we had our first wounded. And finally, before dawn on the morning of November 3, came a swift German raid in which three Americans were killed, five wounded and eleven taken prisoner. The three whose names were Corporal James D. Gresham, Private Thomas F. Enright, and Private Merle D. Hay, were buried at Bethlehem next day with touching ceremonies. The First Three, November 3, 1917 
Somewhere in France, upon a brown hillside, they lie, the first of our brave soldiers slain. Above them flowers, now beaten by the rain, yet emblematic of the youths who died in their fresh promise. They who valiant eyed met death unfaltering have not fallen in vain. Remembrance hallows those who thus attain the final goal. Their names are glorified. Read then the roster, Gresham, and write, hey. No bugle call shall rouse them when the flower of morning breaks above the hills and dells, for they have grown immortal in an hour, and we who grieve and cherish them would lay upon their hillside graves our immortelles. Clinton Scollard To America on her first sons fallen in the Great War. Now you are one with us, you know our tears, those tears of pride and pain so fast to flow. You too have sipped the first strange draught of woe. You too have tasted of our hopes and fears. Sister across the ocean, stretch your hand. Must we not love you more who learn to understand? There are new graves in France, new quiet graves, the first fruit of a nation great and free, full of rich fire of life and chivalry. Lie quietly, though tide of battle laves above them. Sister, sister, see our tears. We mourn with you who know so well the bitter years. Now do you watch with us. Your pain of loss, lit by a wondrous glow of love and power, that flowers star-like at the darkest hour, lighting the eternal message of the cross. They gain their life who lose it. Earth shall rise anew and cleansed because of life's great sacrifice. And that great band of souls your dead have met, who saved the world in centuries past and gone, shall find new comrades in their valiant throng. O nation's heart that cannot e'er forget, is not death but the door to life begun? To those who hear far heaven cry, well done. E.M. Walker. Training proceeded rapidly, and the sectors where its final stages took place became more and more lively, as the Americans were gradually given a freer and freer hand. End of section 11.